You're listening to the audio podcast of Richard Hefner's Open Mind. For more information, visit 13.org slash open mind. I'm Richard Hefner, your host on The Open Mind. And for almost three decades now, the honor has been mine that Ellie Wiesel, writer, teacher, historian, much-honored Nobel Peace Prize laureate, witness to and victim of the inhumanity and outrage of anti-Semitism in the years of the Holocaust and thereafter, has again and again joined me here in conversation. Indeed, the other evening, I reviewed for myself some of the many themes and questions, questions that my guest invariably replies to with further questions, questions that over the years have occasioned our conversations together. Am I my brother's keeper? The proper boundaries between religion and politics, church and state. The proper role of the intellectual in our lives. On being politically correct, the anatomy of hate, the use and misuse of memory, anti-Semitism, the world's most durable ideology, taking life, can it be an act of compassion and mercy, making ourselves over, but in whose image must the past be prologued? And of course, always the essential Elie Wiesel injunction, never a question here, that whatever we do must be measured in moral terms. But for all of these themes, and so many, many more, and for all of our years spent in conversation on the open mind, I realize that I've never asked my guest, my dear friend, one particularly compelling question, and now I must. During these long years, has he changed his mind his thinking about matters sacred or profane have over the years newer views proven to him to be truer views? Fair question, Ellie? Of course, all questions are fair. Answers are not. Uh, because as we know each other for so many decades, really. We have been friends, and therefore our, our conversation is a very special. It has a special tone, special intensity, special truth. So you ask, of course, the answer is, no, I have not changed. I have not changed simply because what alternative do I have? Interesting question, isn't it? But I don't have any alternative. If I am not who I am or what I am, I am not I. Who am I? And so it's true, I have gone through even after the war, some periods of anguish, pain, fear, but they didn't change me. They simply, whatever I felt, became deeper. The questions themselves became deeper without the answers. Questions about you and your God? Even that. You know, we spoke about it quite a lot, you and I, in our last com- latest conversations also. People think, reading my book, at least the first one night, they think that I gave up on God. Yes and no. I have never lost faith in God. It is because I remained a religious person that I have problems with God. 
So I don't deny God, but I question him. And the question in my tradition is allowed. I may question God. What then should I do? I question him. Does he answer? <coughs> Excuse me, I don't, I don't think so. Or maybe he does, but I don't know it. I think I told you that, according to a great Hasidic master, Rabbi Nachman of Bratslav, the forerunner, so to speak, of Kafka. Kafka learned from him. And he said, it happens that a person is asking a question in one place. And maybe a hundred years later, another person in another place asks another question, not knowing that the second question is an answer to the first. Is that why to each question that I ask, you ask a question in return? Of course. Look, I like questions because the word quest is in question. I love that word. What are we doing, even you and I, through or within our friendship, if not taking part in the same quest? It can be a quest for truth, a quest for answers, a quest for more questions, a quest for hope, for meaning. It is the quest that defines me. It is not what I find, but what I try to absorb and to confront. But I think also of uh, some very, very specific matters. I think of um, your relationship, not with your God, but let us say with Israel, and whether at all you have changed your mind, your ideas, I know not your feelings. No, I, I really don't, because Israel is not simply a nation that was born 60 or 65 years ago. Israel's history goes back to 200 years, at, uh, at 2,000 years at least, when the Jewish people had a homeland, a kingdom, a monarchy, or a republic, but we cannot simply isolate the present from the past. Tell me what you mean about that. If we don't, if we don't remember what was there, what was in Jerusalem before today, we don't understand why we are attached to Jerusalem, to stones, to buildings. It is because Jerusalem, to our generation and, and the ones before, it, it, it means something. It's where God chose to dwell invisibly. Just like that, invisibly, in a special place. And today, for instance, we know exactly where the, where the temple was, and we know where the saint of saints was, the holiest place in the world. But only once a year the high priest had the right to enter for one minute. And, and to utter God's name and ask in a prayer for the welfare of the people and the world. And now, if you go there, you can see it, literally. You can see where that place is. And each time I go, I shiver. Because I have 2,000 years in that moment. 
but moments lead to minutes, and minutes lead to hours, and hours lead sometimes to catastrophe. And I, that's why I said uh, matters profane, too. Can you separate your sense of history and uh, religion, if you will, from uh, relationships between nations? I may formulate it differently. I don't believe that life is made of years. Life is made of moments. And each moment is special and specific. When, let's say, when you met for the first time a beautiful woman and you made her your wife. When you discovered, let's say, the philosophy of Descartes or Spinoza or Pascal. Or when for the first time you had a program on television, how many, 50 or 60 years ago. The first time, all the first time. And the same thing there is uh, this, this newness and the originality of a moment. Some moments are great, others not. Some moments are filled with joy, others not. But the sum of these moments is life, or the history of my being. And therefore I say about moments, not minutes. Minutes is true, something, minute can be something else. But the moment has almost a metaphysical uh, importance, metaphysical weight, metaphysical outlook. And there, yes, I know that the moment you start, for instance, uh, judging history today from the realistic viewpoint, and also for the ethical, from the ethical viewpoint, naturally, of course I have problems, certainly. Uh, Israel, and I'm totally attached to Israel, I never lived in Israel, but <coughs> I see myself really as one who, who loves Israel, and whenever I go to Jerusalem, I, I go there trembling, it's because as if it were the first time. So it's very special. And now I know that there is also a political dimension to all that. There are Palestinians. I cannot ignore Palestinians. I have no right, no desire to ignore their, some of the plight of some Palestinians, of course. And then I tried my best to do something to bring, let's say, those communities together if I can, or at least to understand the situation. Do you think you do now? Oh, on one hand, yes. On one level, of course, I do. It's, 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 you cannot live without history. And when I go back to history, I find some strange applications to the moment. If the, at that time, I remember, in that, at that time they didn't speak about Palestinians, they spoke only about Arabs. And, uh, and when the, in 1947, when the United Nations adopted the resolution of partition, if they had accepted that plan, there would have been nothing. Israel would still be a very, very small nation. Jerusalem internationalized, the airport of Lida in the Arab side, and Jaffa, the Arab, belonging to the Arab, uh, to the Arab Palestine. Why didn't they do it? I don't know. 
So therefore I think, oh yes, I understand. But still, I would prefer really with all my heart to, <coughs> to view and to uh, being able to testify, to bear witness to peace, real peace, between those two communities. Peace between those two communities. Ellie, I, I saw the other day um, comments that you made um, about Syria and uh, about that whole horrid situation. <laughs> and I wonder, what is it that you would like to see the world do? To stop it. Stop it. Just stop it. Look, if the whole, if there were really a summit meeting, the problem is now Russia and China, for instance, support Syria. Why? How could they? How? But they do. And therefore, all, all of a sudden, there's a conflict between America and Russia. For on that, everybody knows what uh, al-Assad is doing. We have it. Witnesses on film. From, from journalists, and they are today's witnesses, today's prophets. Why don't they? We could. And therefore, I came out with, with an idea, and then I said, that, well, one day it will stop. It has to. At that time, Assad will have to be brought to Hague, to the Hague, and, and be indicted, indicted for accomplishing crimes against humanity by killing his own people. I think that will frighten him because it's something that that crime and that procedure is something which has no parallel. Uh, there is no way. Look what's happening with those in Serbia. Mm -hmm. When they are brought, everybody, they all are being brought to the Hague. And, and it's, it's, it's something to be condemned by the whole world, for the whole world condemned from the jurisprudence viewpoint, that you have an enemy of humanity. Does it concern you that what we did at Nuremberg did not put an end to this kind of it, uh, brutality? <coughs> it concerns me. So that is, does it mean that we shouldn't do it? I think it concerns me. Look, we know each other. I, I, in 1945, we spoke about it. I was really crazily optimistic on certain uh, issues. I was convinced there will never be anti-Semitism because we know, we knew in '45, anti-Semitism led to Auschwitz. It wasn't the only element, but without anti-Semitism there would have been no Auschwitz. And we, at that time we were convinced no more war, no more conflict, no more hunger. So you have changed your mind? No, I have not changed. I still believe that the world was capable and could be capable today to do certain things for its own salvation. So your sense of the nature of human nature has not changed? Oh, I have learned. I'm a good student, you know that. In, in class, I'm a better student than teacher. I'm a good student. And, of course, human nature, why not? It should have. It should have changed human nature. To know, let's say, you cannot torture children. 
and you cannot use torture against anyone. A certain thing is not believe in that. That is never a solution. So does it mean that I shouldn't try again? We'll try again. You will always try and and try again. That's why I should have known that when I asked you that first question, what the answer would be, because you are a model of consistency here in terms of very profound beliefs. That's why, well, in our in our little book of conversations, I wrote that in the in the in the preface that we approach things from two such different uh, points of view, and I admire yours. But so I don't much. think so. I think we have the same point of view. We've, we express them differently. Uh, Ellie, that's why you're a master at words, <laughs> that you can, you can say that, but not. Uh, you, you insist upon uh, that glass being half full, and I admit I see that it's half empty. Both are true. Yeah, yes, indeed. <laughs> Both are true. It depends where you direct your, your eyes. But oh. where you live, it depends upon what you grasp to make the basis on which you live. It's, it's not only that. It's really it's our attitude towards others, always. I am not defined by my attitude towards myself, but by my attitude towards other human beings. Some of them very close, my family, my grandchildren, my friends, you included, naturally. But not what I, you know. What I, I do to myself doesn't really concern me that much. I don't understand that. I am not alone in this world. God alone is alone. And therefore I must be concerned with those that surround me. Or that I see or don't, but anyway, with other people. I cannot say simply, I therefore take care only of myself and therefore I'm plagued by my own curses and find uh, solutions only for my own self. Come on, how can I live like that? How can anyone live like that in society? We are not hermits. We don't live in, in the desert or in the um, caves of the mountains of, of Greece. We don't do that. But we act that way. Ellie. We shouldn't. Then we shouldn't. Therefore, we are here to say, "Don't, don't." It doesn't doesn't work. It does not enrich society. It does not help history. It doesn't help anyone. Those who hear us or those who read us, if we think only of ourselves. Do you think that the history of mankind? The history you know points in the direction of, at any time, mankind embracing what you just said, the point of view, the philosophy. No. <laughs> no, of course not. But that, that doesn't mean that I should do what others are doing or not doing. I, look, I'm alone in this respect, but even my loneliness should have meaning. And I say, no, you are not alone, and therefore I am not alone. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here talking. You know, I remember years and years and years ago at this table, Max Lerner, who's been gone so long now, 
my asking, and we were talking about Franklin Roosevelt and um, Secretary of Labor Francis Perkins recounting a story in a White House press conference when a young um, reporter said, Mr. President, what are you? Are you a communist? Are you a fascist? Are you a socialist? And um, the president said, generalizing with small letters, I am a Democrat and a Christian. Uh, he didn't mean Christian as opposed to Muslim or, or Jew. And I said to Max, Max, how would you describe yourself? And he said, I'm a possibilist. And that seems to be what you're saying now. Mm -hmm. I, I would say I'm a Jew. <laughs> also, I wouldn't omit that. I'm a Jew. As a Jew in me wants to be universal. But I don't want to be a universalist without my Jewishness. Is it your Jewishness that makes you a possibilist? That Poss makes you think? Look, I assume my identity. I assume what I am, what I inherited. To me, for instance, I don't want to do anything, believe it or not, that would displease my parents or my grandparents. I think of that all the time. They have been, you know, they all were killed. But for me, you know, I, to this day, I think of them. Would, would they say to me now, what you are doing is wrong? Then I don't do it. What a lovely, lovely thought. What a great faith to have. I, I think this is my tradition, our tradition too, the Jewish tradition. You're trying to make me understand that that is the part of our tradition that I should identify with. Our tradition, because this is what my father said, this is what my grandfather said. That again, he also said about his parents and his grandparents. So, so I, do, I, I do what he and they would do, and I say what he and they would say. Ellie, we have just a couple of minutes left, and you've promised me that we will sit here again and discuss the book you have written from the hard physical time that you had with a hard operation of major proportions. And I can't wonder, though, now whether I might ask, as you experienced that, did these same thoughts occur to you? Were these, was this identification what got you through in common parlance? I don't know that they got me through, but they, I faced them. As I, it happened very fast, very, very fast. I just came back from Israel, and I went to my doctor. We had made the appointment much earlier, and he gave me a clean checkup. And all of a sudden, three days later, I was already in the hospital uh, under the knife. And when I saw my wife and my son, who came all of a sudden to be there with me, and uh, when they began moving me to the operating room, I wasn't sure I would see them again. And then I also thought, whom I will see now, maybe those who abandoned me. Tell me what you mean by that. Those who I left, and they, and they left me during those dark times, 
What did you learn? Oh, I learned a lot, really. You know, I told you I wrote a memoir on that called Open Heart. Which you promised you will talk about it with came, me here. It came, it came out in, in France already, and here in the fall, I think. I, of course, you are the first, naturally. But we will. But it's a kind of literature. If I could compare it to anything I had written, would be tonight. Yes. Yeah. It was so close to death. Does night remain, I know it remains, a book that my children and my children's children and my students and my students' children read. Uh, when was it written? When did you write night? Ten years after. I was waiting ten years. I needed that silence in me. Total silence. And I wrote it and then published it. And uh, it is that book, if I had not written Night, I would not have written anything, anything else. I remember, Ellie, when we discussed Night once, and it's in the our archives. Our conversation. And, and, uh, and in our conversation. But when I had the temerity to ask you if you would read those pages when you described your father's death, and I thought to myself, I can't do this, I mustn't do this, but I must do it too. And I wondered if the director had the good sense to be in on Ellie Wiesel's face as he read. And he did. Did he? Did he? He did indeed, and it's a magnificent. I haven't seen it. And you've got to see it. Go to our archive and, and, and look at it. Ellie, you're promising me that you're going to come and talk about this here, and I don't know why it should have been published in France before I write it in the light of day. I write here. it in French always, still. You still do. Yeah. But you know, my, I keep my promises, you know that. I do indeed. And I'm delighted that I think I should be getting the sign now that this program has come to an end, and I trust that you will come back soon about the book. Ellie Wiesel, thank you for joining me again today. Thank you. And thanks to you in the audience. I hope you join us again next time. And meanwhile, as another old friend used to say, good night and good luck. And do visit the Open Mind website at 13.org slash openmind.